Dear Jesus, thank you so much for conquering death and for giving us new life. God, as we dive into the scripture today and just listen to your word and just take it in and let it come inside of each of our hearts and just mess with them, rearrange them, turn them upside down, reorient them toward your heart. We ask that you not only teach us head knowledge, but you grab our hearts and you inspire us with foot and hand knowledge, ways that we can be servants to others and uh, in, in the same way, receive service from others, uh, spiritual help and nurture and care. God, this is what you've called us to. This is the life that you've led us into. And so, Lord, as we uh, lay ourselves down at your feet today, uh, you are our friend. And so we ask that you come and speak, that you dwell in these words, that you command them and use them to change us, to make us more like you. God, we just lift all this up to you in your name. We pray together. Amen and amen. Well, if you pull your Bible or your phone and take a look at the passage again that we did, this is John chapter 15. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we did the first part of John chapter 15 with that message where we talked about the vine and the branches, and we did a little bit of a, of a linguistics uh, sort of uh, experiment where we switched out the words, the plural words for you with the word y'all. Do you guys remember that if you were here? And that was kind of cool. What it did is it showed us a contrast between where God is talking about you and the plural as if to say you all or y'all uh, together as a congregation versus the you that's in the singular. Well, we're going to see a little bit more of that in the second part of this passage in John chapter 15. So I'm going to echo what was read by Erica a couple of minutes ago and just kind of read through this again with you. Scripture says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. And the words of Jesus now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So we're literally following Jesus into a life of obedience. We're following Jesus into a life of keeping someone's commands. And for many of us red-blooded Americans, this is a challenge. Following someone else's commands and following someone else's leadership is foreign to us as a concept. This is something that the Holy Spirit prepares us for and leads us into. Jesus says this, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the idea is this, really open your heart to this idea if you've never really thought about this before. The completion of joy in your life is a key to its success. The completion of joy in your life is a key to the success of your life. And that begs the question, what is joy? If you had to define the word joy, the first thought might be what? Happiness. But what's the difference between happy and joy? Because if happy and joy were the same thing, then it would simply be the same word, right? There is a difference. Happy is incidental. It's an emotional response to the immediate circumstances around you. Whereas joy can include happiness and things like satisfaction and contentment, right? Based not on what's happening immediately in front of you, but based on what? Some longer term ideal or longer term outcome, or longer term effect. 
Joy is based on the idea that something bigger than me is sustaining me. Whereas happiness can be fleeting, right? We can watch the Bears game and be happy or depressed, depending on how the game ends up, right? But joy is more sustainable than happiness. Joy is a longer term effect where if there's something that we have to look forward to in the end of a journey, then we can have joy in the present circumstances, even despite the fact that we might not be happy in the moment. Does this make sense? So what we're doing is we're defining a biblical concept that has a long-term effect in motion for us. And the idea is, it's not just that we become Christians in order to achieve heaven. That's transactional. And God is not transactional. He is relational, right? We know that he loves us and that he is going to carry us into eternity with him by his side. We also know that when Jesus rose from the dead, he lived. That means that we have a life as we come into the family of God that is a new life. We are a new creation. And having the end in mind and the new life that we've been given brings us joy. We're going to discover what that looks like today. What it doesn't look like today is this. This is the Carlton. I don't know if you remember this dance from the 80s, but it was made famous by Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And one of my favorite artists, Dave Matthews, happens to be playing in the background. What you don't have to do if you're going to have Christian joy in your life is be like Carlton, happy all the time. You don't have to be happy 24 hours a day. You don't have to be Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. You don't have to be fake, false, plastic, untrue. You don't have to be something that you're not. You don't have to not show signs of suffering or weakness or sickness or failure or starting over in life again and again and again. You don't have to be perfect. The Bible says that when we have joy, our joy belongs to God. It is God's joy, and he simply gives it to us. And this is something that happens over time. Isn't that right, Erica? It happens over time. We don't get the joy of God instantly by placing all of our faith and trust in God. Our faith and trust in God grow over the course of our lives. And we have opportunities, like we talked about last week with little commitments. We have opportunities as life presents challenges to trust in God all the more. This serves as a function of joy, which is bigger than mere happiness in the circumstances, caught in the circumstances of the moment. But what many of us find is that stress is created in our lives by putting that joy aside or forgetting about that joy and allowing stress into our lives, allowing stress to build in our lives, to take over our schedules and our priorities and our objectives leads to one thing and one thing only in the end, misery. Misery is the opposite of joy. 
Misery can be short-term or long-term, but in most cases, it's long-term. It stands kind of juxtaposed to sadness, where you can be happy one minute and sad the next. Sort of the opposite of joy is misery. When we hear or are taught or believe something that robs us of our joy, takes our joy away, that causes us stress, doesn't it? When we overbook our lives, make our lives too busy to live, that causes us stress, doesn't it? When we choose to do, say, or participate in things that work against the joy that God has set apart for us, that causes us stress and internal conflict, doesn't it? And it brings the opposite of joy, which is misery. The best part and the best news of all, though, is that God gives us the ability to understand and to live in joy in practical ways. Here's what that might mean for us. Did you ever think about the concept of boundaries before in your life? Saying no to certain opportunities or certain requests in your life, even against the compulsion to say yes. Why would you do that? Well, one of my mentors in book form is a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote a book that changed my life many years ago called Boundaries, When to Say Yes, How to Say No to Take Control of Your Life. And here's what Dr. Cloud says about boundaries. He says, boundaries are about God's restoring freedom to you and me so that we could take control of our lives to be able to love him and others. Ultimately, that is the fruit of boundaries, to love out of freedom and with purpose. Sometimes love requires no, and sometimes love requires yes. Now, here's what we mean by this. Jesus has called us into a life of joy, and that that joy might be complete. And he leads us on and talks about the idea of loving each other, of receiving each other and accepting each other. But we find ourselves battling against this idea just by trying to live life where we live it in DuPage County. Our schedules are overbooked. We try to do anything and everything possible for our kids. To give them the best possible education and experiences, we overbook ourselves to the point of where we don't even have dinner together anymore. Sometimes we are so busy traveling and trying to meet those needs and trying to meet the demands of the society around us that it chokes and squeezes out our joy. And we got to know and we got to understand and realize that the opposite of joy is what? It is misery. And so when we start to experience misery and experience a life that is choked and isn't full of the completed joy of God, And God calls us to step back and set some boundaries around that so that we can experience his joy. Did you know that you were destined for God's joy? You were not destined to live in a life that you can't live. You were not destined to try to keep up with a life that is unsustainable. You were made for a life that is complete in the joy of God. Look at what Jesus says. My command is this from John 15, 12. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, 
think about this a little bit. Think about the idea that we were created for joy. We were created for a joy that is complete, not by our own choosing or our own power, but by whose? By God's, God's gift. God gave us joy. And what more would the enemy of God, whose name is Satan and all those who follow him, right? What more would the enemy of God want to attack than the joy you were created to live in? How would the enemy attack the joy that you were created to live in? He would lead you to believe that you need something in your life other than God to meet your needs. And he would queue up and line up all of those opportunities for you on a daily basis to challenge you, to think that you need to overbook your schedule. You need to please your kids. You need to follow along with society's lead to be busier and somehow become more valid in the eyes of society than to receive the joy, the complete joy that God has created for you. And the way he does that is through his command. Love one another. See, when we get so busy and detached from the joy of God, we know that that's true when we don't have time or the capacity to love one another. When we don't have time or the capacity, the opportunity to take care of each other, that's when we lose God's joy and we start to feel stress and we start to head down that lonely path of misery. We've all felt it. We've all been a part of it. We all all privy to it. But something that we must remember that God's good news through Jesus is that he died for us on the cross, rose again from the grave, gave us a new life, and empowered us to not only give love to other people, but also do what? Receive it. See, the good news of Jesus is not just that you have to go out there and love other people, and that you've got to create the time, space, and opportunity to give of yourself till you die. That's not it at all. The boundary is this. We create the opportunity not only to give love to others, but to receive it from them as well. Because we need love too, don't we? And when Jesus was talking about loving each other, what he wasn't saying to you was, you go out and love love other people, but don't ever receive from people the love that you need as well. Being a part of my family, God's family, means that there's joy. And joy comes not only in the giving of love, but in the what? Receiving of love. And folks, if we don't have time for that, we're going to be miserable. You know why? Because we're going to be stressed. You know why? Because we're trying to reach out to a God that doesn't exist. The God of social validity. The God who says you need to be busy in order to count. God never said you need to be busy. God said to love each other. And that means giving and receiving his love. You know, we've been talking about this discipleship path at Trinity for some time. And 
We talked about how it progresses from one side to the other. It's that arrow at the bottom that says more like Jesus. We opened up these opportunities called on-ramps where we do uh, parties and celebrations and gatherings. And what that does is it shows the hospitality of God and opens up the good news of Jesus to people who might not otherwise have access to it. That leads to discovering more about how God's family works. And ultimately, it, me it leads to people having the opportunity to commit to being a part of God's family and saying, I want to be in this. Help me understand how to follow Jesus in the real world, right? Well, today and next week, we're going to talk in particular about two key middle parts of this discipleship pathway that we call small group membership and becoming a discipler. For us, these two concepts are key for this reason, this reason is that everyone that we come in contact with through on-ramps has the opportunity to experience hospitality with us. Anybody can come. Anybody can come to a party we host in our home. Anybody can come to a party or a Christmas ornament party, something like that, we host at the Fry Properties building. Anyone can come to a family dance that we host right here at Burkett, like we're going to have in a couple of weeks. Everybody's welcome and can come and will be welcome. There may be and should be some people that will emerge from those group of people who want to know more about why we're doing what we're doing. Those people will ask questions and want to be around when we give invitations and ask them to come to small group or to other venues. But the purpose of that is to lead people into relationships where they pragmatically can care for each other. We believe and teach that that happens best in small group. Why? Because Jesus believed and taught that. Jesus could have gathered a crowd of people and made that entire crowd of people his core group of disciples, but he didn't. He gathered a small group of people, 12. We believe that a small group of people is the best possible size of gathering where you can really get to know each other and love each other and care for each other. So we make a pretty big deal out of having small groups here at Trinity. You guys know that because you hear about small groups here how often? All the time, right? You might even get sick of hearing about small groups, right? But that's the reason why we talk about small groups because it's the track on which our loving for each other runs We'll talk more about discipling each other next week, but for our purposes this week, the reason we make such a big deal about small group ministry is because that is the practical way that we can love each other. Now you know that when you read this scripture, you're not just talking about giving love to somebody else until you've got none left. What we're talking about is giving and what? Receiving. And both are equally important. And here's what Jesus concludes in this passage. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and do what? Bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, remember when we talked about the definition of joy and how joy is long-term, it's an objective, an ideal, something out there that sustains us through the happiness and sadness and madness and gladness of each day, Right? Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about fruit that's going to last so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. Now, 
do you see a word in that so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you that might be a y'all? Which ones of those might be y'alls? So that whatever y'all ask in my name, the father will give who? Y'all. So when we're sitting around a table one night with Eric, who's lost his arm and got fired from his job this very same week, pathetically, who now has been given his job back, we can say, thank you, God. When we pray for someone who is sick, there's a brain injury that they didn't expect. And the power of God and his use of the medical field brings healing. And that person's up delivering a lecture two weeks later, four weeks later. Praise God. How would we know this stuff? And how would we be able to lift it before God if we didn't have those conversations that happen in those little gatherings? We wouldn't be able to love each other otherwise, would we? We'd be a bunch of religious consumers. But folks, we are surrounded by religious consumers. People whose souls are as dead as the day is long. Who need love. And frankly, who need the capacity to give love. And don't have the opportunity. Why? Because they don't understand the mechanism through which... God gives us the ability to love each other in small, little, family-like gatherings. The idea is this. You were chosen and appointed for an eternal, personal impact. You. This is where it gets personal. This is also a y'all, but it's also a you. We all were chosen for a personal. We were chosen and appointed by God for an eternal personal impact, an impact that nobody other than the people sitting in your seat can have on someone else's life. There is no other vendetta but vendetta. There's no other clay but clay. There's no other care but care. There's no other Keelan but Keelan. Through your presence in every single person's life, in your everyday walk-a-day life, God works as he dwells in you, as you dwell in his presence, and as your presence is made available to others, guess who makes contact with people who don't know God? God does through you. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And the balance of that, the balance of your presence in someone else's life and God's presence in you is powerful and life-changing and is destined from eternity, from God's own hand, from his mouth. That's what love each other means. It means be with God and be with those others that he's given you and allow yourself to give them love and allow yourself to do what just is equally important. Receive it. Don't miss that part. Embrace it. Let yourself be vulnerable with people you trust. And let God speak to you. Bring healing to you. And power to you. Through somebody that you don't expect. 
I don't know about you, but, um, but I, I take a lot of comfort and get a lot of peace from this scripture. Look at this from Hebrews 10. Bible says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Even when I'm not, he's faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the definition of joy? That day. The day when Jesus descends on the clouds and every knee bows and every tongue confesses and all of us see who he is all the glory of who he is. That gives me joy, even when I'm not happy. Does it give you the same joy? You know, you can cry when you're joyful. It's okay, because there's something out there that people need to hear, and that's that you have a God who loves you, who sent his son to die and conquer life and death for you so that you may have joy and that your joy may be complete. That also means perfect. Do you want perfect joy? There's only one who can give that. And his name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be yours to be chosen and appointed by you, to have joy that is perfect in my life, even when I'm sad, mad, happy, or glad. You have created a new life for me, a life that is full of joy. And you've given me the opportunity to share that with other people who don't have it. Even others who go to church, but whose lives are full of misery and stress. God of all people, I confess to you that there are times when I let the stress of life choke the joy out. I lay those times before you and I receive from you the joy and the peace that comes with it that passes all understanding. I receive from it the complete joy, the perfect and unending joy, the end result and the encouragement that the day does approach when you will descend and claim me finally, perfectly as yours. So God, why do I wait? Why do I hold back and wait for that joy? Let that joy be mine through the power of your Holy Spirit and let it be transmitted and passed on to those around me that you called and set apart for me to love and to be with till every voice hears your good word. Don't stop. Work that joy out in me. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.